Hey everyone, welcome to Reformed Podmatics, hosted by the pastors of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. It's Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey, and this podcast exists to promote the vibrant, biblical, and historically informed face of Reformed theology, both in our context and beyond. Well, hello and welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Reformed Podmatics. I am Pastor Zach. And I am Pastor Mark. And today we are going to be talking a little bit about allergies, but not those kind of allergies. We'll be talking about allergies that people have to what's being talked about in the pulpit. You know, often we will hear as pastors that certain things really shouldn't be discussed in the pulpit. Those are better for private conversations or one-on-ones or in small group discussions about various things. And so today we want to talk about that concept a little bit and sort of ask ourselves the question and think out loud about whether or not there are anything, any topics that are off limits in the pulpit. Um, So often, just to give a few examples of things that are supposedly off limits, uh, would be discussions of politics or things about the government or racial issues. Um, Some people might say that sort of thing is too political and therefore off limits. Um, or, or money, how to handle money, how to how to deal with our money, uh, our finances, or maybe sexuality issues just might hit a little too close to home. So uh, there's all these sorts of things. Idolatry of family, you, you can't talk about that sort of thing. That's, that's <laughs> some people's opinion. And so we just want to dive right in headlong into this conversation and sort of start off by asking, is any subject off limits? Uh, Mark, what are your thoughts on on that question? Well, uh, this has to be looked at from two angles, I would say. Um, the one angle is from the congregational perspective. There may be people in a congregation who would say, <laughs> my pastor should not talk about these things. <laughs> and then on the other side, is the pastor's perspective where the pastor doesn't really want to talk about these things. Right. That's a great point. (laughs) um, I think that that's actually where we sort of come at it is what should the minister's perspective be about um, all of these sensitive topics, controversial topics that people are talking about in a coffee shop or around the water cooler um, are those things that a, a pastor really should be able to cover. And um, so to answer your question, um, are there topics that are off limits in the pulpit? I would say anything that the Bible teaches about, anything that the Bible covers is something that we should gladly proclaim. Hmm. Um, anything that uh, would fall outside of sort of biblical um, instruction, um, something hmm. that we could reasonably know about according to the Bible, if it's outside of the... the uh, sort of boundary of that requirement, I would say then um, that's something that Christians can talk about certainly, but pastors should be very careful about making any kind of proclamation or hmm. established teaching about. And that that's sort of a Calvinistic approach where John Calvin basically says anything that the Bible says we must say, mm-hmm. any, and where the Bible stops, we stop. Yeah. And uh, so... Three of the institutes. That, that, uh, that answers the question by, by saying... Should any topic be off limits in a sermon? 
Um, I do think that there's there's some things that the Bible talks a lot less about, and mm-hmm. so uh, I want to say what the Bible says, and I don't want to get sort of that muddled up with debatable matters. Yeah, and the Bible, I think, for the ones that we've already listed, those topics, the Bible does speak on those things, and so it should be inevitable that at times the pastor who is being faithful to Scripture will will tread that ground. Uh, we'll talk about politics or issues of race or money or sexuality or family. Mm-hmm. Um, there may be various issues within each of those. One one good example from recent Christian discussions comes from the rise and fall of Mars Hill. Where there mm-hmm. was one episode mm-hmm. where there's critique of, of Pastor Mark Driscoll um, giving instructions for how husbands and wives should behave in the bedroom. And that is an interesting thing. Should pastors be talking about that from the pulpit? Um, And he would say that there's stuff in Song of Solomon that teaches that uh, certain behaviors are are totally permissible and go for it. Um, That's probably an interpretive thing in a way, but Mm -hmm. there's also the the matter of the sermon being for everyone. And so uh, that includes for children, for single people, um, in fact, Song of Solomon, it says, uh, Solomon itself says, do not awaken love before its time. Mm-hmm. And so it warns against yeah. um, being explicit or, or too um, provocative, probably, in, in terms of, in that specific case, um, not to awaken love. And so um, th- I think that's a great example where mm-hmm. uh, since Scripture withholds um, sort of the will of God from us in in that clear sense uh, by not teaching very specifically about what may or may not be done, Hmm. then that that doesn't really belong in my sermon. Right. I I think that's a great point. The sermon is for the whole church, and Mm -hmm. that will often include, uh, or should include, I think, uh, younger members of Christ. And so we should be careful about what is said in a sermon but that doesn't mean by any means that discussions mm-hmm. about those sorts of things is totally off limits. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's the right thing for a husband and a wife to discuss uh, behavior, you know, in those mm-hmm. settings. And so the scriptures don't just leave us blank. And, yeah. But so we have to be careful with what we preach. But can we can pastors preach about sexuality? Well, I think they actually must preach about sexuality because if the principle is sticking with scripture then the answer is yes. And so I don't think there is any subject that is really off limits in the pulpit. Um, that means we, we should speak, speak whatever scripture is telling us, but we should uh, do so with, with wisdom as well. Yeah, I like that approach in saying no subject is off limits, but the contents of how right. that subject is exactly. dealt with should be done uh, with care for uh, the community that you're preaching yeah. to and so forth. Should be so. seasoned with salt. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I think um, we, we, we look at those examples of very controversial things and can quickly get distracted from really the core of the issue. Um, <laughs> yeah. Be, because um, people want to find reasons not to be challenged. And so they'll use dramatic examples like Mark Driscoll and say, yeah, consider this guy who was a firebrand, sort of a shock jock, almost like a Howard Stern type of pastor who's just going to say things to to rile people up or get a greater following. Consider that and how bad that went. 
and then apply that to your local minister who is a faithful, Bible-preaching, mm-hmm. humble, caring person, and yet you also should not talk about sexuality because look of how bad it went for Mark Driscoll. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's to take all of the errors of that other situation and maybe other situations as well. Think about money and Tam, Jim and Tammy Faye Baker or... Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, Jimmy Swaggart and, and all of the, the problems that they fell into with their money. And yeah. then, oh, Pastor, and because that went so bad, you probably shouldn't talk about mm-hmm. money. And it can be a defense mechanism against accountability. Yeah, and in my experience, a lot of the pushback often comes from people, not so much saying that pastors shouldn't talk about such things, but that pastors shouldn't set themselves up as the experts mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. such things. Yeah, And I think that that's, that's not actually a bad critique entirely. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so for a, a good example of this would be critical race theory. Can both of us say that we are experts mm. in critical theory and, and critical race theory in particular? No, I don't think so. Neither should we be. It's not <laughs> yeah. a job. Yeah. Right. And so <laughs> so we did an episode on critical race theory and we I think we critiqued it pretty strongly. Um, and so some people might say, well, you're, you're not experts in that, so what business do you have as pastors speaking into that? Well, just because we're not experts doesn't mm. mean that the scriptures don't speak to it in a useful and meaningful and important way. And so our job is not to be experts in critical race theory. Uh, our job is to listen as best we can to what critical race theory is ex- espousing and then try to examine that uh, against what the scriptures teach. Yeah, at a basic level. And yeah. so that's often the pushback, I think, for a lot of people. But you're right. Most of the time, pushback against these subjects is because of it's, it's an idolatry issue. Hmm. They, they kind of feel like the pastor may say something that they, that they don't like, that, that sort of uh, smashes their idol. And so in saying, don't preach on such a subject, don't preach on this or don't preach on that, uh, what they're often trying to do do is defend themselves from being from falling under conviction, mm-hmm. uh, and that's a big a big issue. Well, I like that you brought up the fact that we're not experts, but that doesn't dismiss the need to talk about the issue in general. And mm-hmm. and one way that that we can do that. Um, so this past Sunday, I preached on taxes: render unto Caesar what is Caesar, and give to God what is God's. Um, during the week leading up to that, I called one of my friends in church who is an accountant hmm. and, uh, you, you know, good financial mind. And I said, you know, given that you've probably heard some sermons on this before, what have you heard that just really irks you that pastors say? And it just shows they're really um, kind of just pious talk that actually isn't connected to reality or hmm. trying to convict people of things that really they shouldn't be convicted about because you're a Christian tax consultant and you understand that this is a permissible thing that maybe on the surface some pastors would criticize and mm-hmm. so like what landmines do you want me to avoid and we had a really good half hour conversation so that I could get his perspective as a really good authority on the issue of mm-hmm. taxes from a Christian perspective um, and go into the sermon with more knowledge than I would just have mm-hmm. by sort of going with my gut Mm-hmm. you know, or just reading the text itself. Yeah. So I think we can be educated right. um, on some things to the extent that we need to be so that we might declare the word confidently and, uh, and, and, in, and in a convicting way as well. 
Yeah. So, yeah, we had a really good talk. That reminds me a little bit of the Apostle Paul in the story in Acts 17, the famous passage on mm-hmm. Mars Hill mm-hmm. uh, where he has gone around the city and he sees different, uh, he notices different things, he makes different observations about the culture and about certain poets who say this or say that. Uh, was Paul an expert on that city's culture? No. Uh, was he an expert on Athens poetry or philosophy? Probably not. Does that mean that he couldn't speak into it in a significant way? Of course not. Paul Paul did speak into it in a significant way. He he wasn't the world's leading expert on any of it, but he was able to make inferences and judgments in a, such a way that he could speak into something uh, in a very meaningful and important way. And so that is the job of the pastor. The pastor often is a jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none sort of thing <laughs> when it comes to cultural issues. But that doesn't mean that the pastor has nothing to say. Uh, the pastor's goal is not to be an expert on everything. The pastor's goal is to see and express and teach what the Word of God says about various issues going on in the world. Yeah, and that, at different points, will require that we have courage in preaching. And so um, that's a little bit under the surface here of this whole episode is the pastor Hmm. who will quickly say there's no place for politics in the pulpit or I don't really talk about money from the pulpit. Um, That pastor lacks courage to say what God says about those things. Hmm. And so if somebody is a pastor listening to this, um, I think that we we do need to have courage. Preaching requires courage and, um, (laughs) and faith that what God has said is true. And so that has to do with sexuality and politics and money and all kinds of other things that our culture says we should just shut up about. Um, Hmm. So uh, we can find lots of examples, of course, of that in the scriptures. You think of the prophets who were persecuted for their proclamations against kings of Israel and Judah. Um, I think particularly of somebody like John the Baptist, where you would find in Luke 3, the ministry of John the Baptist, the types of things that he was saying to people who approached him. I'll just read verses 12 through 14. Uh, Tax collectors came to be baptized by John and said, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And what shall we do? And he says to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation, and be content with your wages. So he's going right for the jugular there uh, hmm. in the main issues that tax collectors or soldiers um, would be tempted to uh, sin in those areas. Uh, you think also of Herod, where he calls out to Herod as he's going by, you know, you have wronged your brother, you've taken his wife, you are an adulterer. And so that is an example of courageous proclamation of um what righteousness would be for each of these people in their situation. And uh, it took courage for John to say those things. It was very practical. Um, it was very pointed. And I, I think it's a scriptural example of of dealing with the current event in a courageous way. Yeah, that's a really interesting passage there from, from Luke. Uh, John just gives straight talk, straight answers to straight questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and he doesn't feel any shame or guilt for doing so. It's quite clear that he just says it as it is. Um, and I think that that, that sort of ethic should pervade a pastor, pastor's preaching ministry. Um, not that we say things just to be controversial. That should never be the heart of what we do. 
but we should try to be clarifying for people. We should try mm. to uh, bring more light than, than heat um, and help people in that way. Often people will wrongly presume that a pastor has a high horse that they're just mm. trying to beat. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is not the case if the pastor's heart is clearly just trying to teach the word. Um, and so that is, that's the simple point of, I think this whole episode is if we yeah. stick close to the word, we, we will have to confront such things, not because we want to, not because we have a high horse, but because we are uh, to put it as Paul puts it in the book of Romans, uh, we are slaves called by Christ. We are commissioned by Christ to do this. And so we are doing this and we do it joyfully. Um, we have no other authority, no other no other ground to stand on as pastors. And so when there's an issue that needs to be spoken to, we will do it. Yeah, and the the congregation should get the sense that their pastor is willing to do those things. Hmm. I think that that's why it's important to actually do this from time to time. You don't want to be the Driscoll firebrand who's just, you know, we, you almost can't trust what he's going to say because it's so outrageous. Um, but neither do you want to be the pastor who's so safe and vanilla and um, predictable yeah. that um, you can't imagine your your minister um, preaching a difficult text, a con- a sort of a confrontational sermon. Like you think of Peter's sermon at Pentecost, and um, it was extremely confrontational. Basically, <laughs> at the 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 conclusion of the sermon is Jesus, the Son of mm-hmm. God who is amazing and, and had, you know, this ministry of the kingdom of God, you killed him. Yeah. yeah. Like you did it. That was, he's on, his blood was on your hands. Yeah, exactly. You did it. It's, and that just happened. That wasn't like an abstract idea. That was in Jerusalem talking to the just people weeks who were before. a part of the crowd yelling, crucify him very likely. And, and so that would have taken courage and the response, of course, was the movement of the Spirit. What must we shall? What must we do to be saved? And he mm-hmm. says, "Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of sins." So, right. um, you know, you you sort of would hope that, uh, and this can be seen in liberal churches or conservative churches that there can be a oh, yeah. safe route to take with every passage, where it's so kind of made philosophical or theological or abstract. Um, or where passages just aren't chosen to preach on. Um, yeah, I, I, I think um, it's overlooked. one of my yeah, it's one of my convictions right now that every Christian reform minister should preach occasionally on the issue of sexuality and mention from the pulpit the issue of homosexuality. It is mm-hmm. irresponsible to not do that in our culture, which is catechizing youth in mm-hmm. such a direct and aggressive way on that very matter. And so. Um, <laughs> Zach, you and I disagree about the lectionary, but I, I think that's that's my big criticism of the lectionary is yeah. that um, that a minister could follow that for the full three year cycle and mm-hmm. probably never have to say something yeah. about homosexuality from the pulpit. Yeah, um, uh, it's, I think that that's a good criticism of how most lectionaries are construed and used. Um, maybe depending on the one. I don't know. I'm not super familiar with them, but right. maybe First Corinthians. Uh, six would be in there or Romans mm-hmm. one would be in some, I, I don't know exactly that, but um, it seems like one can find ways of um, getting around very controversial um, issues 
and that's often done in text selection itself. Yeah. So that's why I like expository preaching, which is going to force me to preach about divorce, which I did several months mm-hmm. ago, and preach about money, which was this past week. And so, um, not that I'm the gold standard of this by any stretch. I do struggle, um, particularly with some various political sorts of things that I see happening. Um, I, I could maybe be more courageous in certain things, but at the same time, it's, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know, I, I, I see that tendency in my own life to, you know, just sort of soft pedal mm-hmm. a certain confrontation, um, particularly that has to do with our community, and then really elevate or be strong on a confrontation that is maybe more outside of our community to preach to the choir. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that that's a temptation, but uh, oh, I think really shouldn't be. That's a temptation most likely for every pastor. Preaching to the choir yeah. is is a sort of easy thing to do. It's it's and it's a win-win for hmm. it, in the sense that the feels pastor that feels way. good, yeah. the, the congregation feels good, but it's a lose in that you're not necessarily bringing the word of God to bear on people um, on really important matters. Um, something I appreciated just from the notes that we have in front of us that you put on here, Mark, uh, was the abolitionist movement mm. as an interesting historical example of preaching on a hotly debated issue people in a are time each other over people it. are killing each other about this yeah. what if nobody ever got up in the pulpit and mentioned slavery mm. people who were against slavery but just decided you know it's too 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 hot of a discussion let's we shouldn't mention our politics in the pulpit the, so therefore we're just not going to say anything we're going to talk about other issues mm-hmm. that wouldn't have been right uh, there are passages throughout the Old and New Testament that talk about the issue of race. Mm. And if you're preaching through the book of Ephesians, for example, mm-hmm. and you come across Ephesians chapter 2, uh, the second half of the passage in verses 11 and following, you will have to talk about how the blood of Christ creates a bond between peoples of different nationalities and ethnicities. And to overlook that passage and to not preach on it just because it was too controversial in your time Mm. would have been a mistake. Um, And so in the same way, we should not feel queasy or scared Mm. to to preach on passages that are very important on on these matters that are going around and people are talking about already. Uh, Because if we don't talk about such things, I think a vacuum opens up where people will begin to come to decisions apart from uh, God's word. Yeah, and James also talks about favoritism. And I know when I preached through James, that was really on my heart in terms of addressing the issue of racism with that text from James on favoritism. Now, he uses it in the um, socioeconomic sense of, the poor yeah. person comes in and, and you, you sort of put them in the back of the, hmm. the house church. But, um, of course, that happens in various ways uh, with, and with all kinds of uh, reasons in American culture where there's a favoritism towards one and against the right. other. And so when that text is preached, um, I think our responsibility and call is to apply it to the world that we're in and Mm -hmm. address something like racism. Yeah. Um, Even though James doesn't say racism is a sin right Mm -hmm. there, that is the implication of showing partiality to anybody for any external means. So, or another one could say it could be um, showing partiality towards people who have sort of the majority 
political view of a given church. Mm-hmm. So if your church, if your congregation happens to be mostly conservative and you sort of give give uh, partiality or favoritism, you show favoritism towards other conservatives in your church, but then you sort of hold anybody who is not as conservative at, a, at arm's length, mm. uh, that would be showing favoritism there as well. Yeah, which is, again, a hard thing to deal with and sometimes the better place is in conversation, um, but it does, this is uh, maybe a bit of a conviction of mine that when I stand up to preach, I hope that people can't just predict, oh, I know I know where this is going. <laughs> you know, like um, maybe that's sort of a, a strange goal to have, but I, I think um, hmm. Jesus, right, stands and he reads from the, the, the scroll of Isaiah and right when he's done, it says that, and then the whole synagogue waited with an expectation of what he was about to say next. <laughs> and of course he says the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And th- there should be, I think, a sense in the congregation of um, wanting to hear the word of God and not, not expecting a novel interpretation. That's not what I'm getting at at all. But um, expecting to be challenged in a fresh and, and interesting and creative way while also expecting to be encouraged maybe in a creative huh. way as well. And so this isn't all just rebuke. Um, yeah. This is this also takes the form of being surprised by what you might learn about um, a text that you've heard, you know, uh, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, you've heard it lots of times. You, you should expect the text, uh, the sermon, to surprise you a little bit. Um, I think that that's yeah. part of the pastoral work. Not to be novel, but to be thoughtful and challenging in a way, um, maybe intellectually and and personally as well. Especially to people who have heard that passage that you're preaching on dozens of times, um, which I think you did a fairly good job of this last weekend, Mark, Mm, um, on your passage about taxation. um, And you made it, you applied it to various things going on in our world today. And I think a very helpful way that, that really helped people uh, think through various issues, including masking and vaccines. So if you want to go listen to that, yeah. you can check out our <laughs> church's podcast that just under Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church. I think it's... Yeah, a- Almond Valley CRC Sermons. Sermons, okay. Name. Yeah. But I must confess, when <laughs> I said the word vaccines for the first time in that sermon, I physically felt the, the, the stress in my body. <laughs> like, I, my legs literally <laughs> became weak. Oh man! And that's just from all of the talk in our culture <laughs> mm-hmm. and in our the, church, the, even the, in our church, the thinking that went through that part of the sermon was, you know, it was kind of I've never had that ever before. Hmm. Um, but uh, my legs, I felt like I was actually going to fall over. Is how hmm. nervous and you know these butterflies. I don't normally get butterflies to preach anymore, but um, hmm. that happened to me, and and so. I'm thankful that it's it was well received. I did talk about masks and vaccines, and if you're curious, the application was God. Man looks at the outward appearance; God looks at the heart. And so, where one person is vaccinated and wears a mask hmm. for a good reason, the next person may be vaccinated and wear a mask for a sinful reason of of not trusting God. When one person is not vaccinated and refuses to wear a wear a mask and um, that person may be doing so for a good reason or for a sinful mm-hmm. reason of rebelling against authorities and having a rebellious spirit. So um, yeah. anyways, that, that's sort of where we went with that. But um, 
I want to get to this question, which I think is is really important. Where does it lead when a pastor refuses to talk about the issues that people care about, think about, that matter to them in their everyday lives? Um, We could talk about vaccines or COVID or um, we've done already. We've done a whole um, podcast about that. And we've heard a lot of thanks, actually, from people um, saying, wow, I'm just glad that we're thinking about this in public. Um, after my sermon this past Sunday, I talked with the young people at Catechism, and that was my sense that they hear all the time about vaccines. They hear every day about COVID. Yeah. And you know what? We're going to break the seal on that in church, and we're mm-hmm. going to talk about those things, um, hopefully from a, always a biblical perspective. What happens when we don't do that? Yeah, yeah. I think, as I, I, think I alluded to a little bit ago, mm-hmm. I think it creates a vacuum. And people will begin to come to their own conclusions, which isn't the end of the world. We're all supposed to, in the end, come to our own conclusions, I think. Mm. Um, That's part of what it means to be human. But churches in particular that don't receive um, good teaching from Scripture on on certain common issues of of the world or of the day or of the hour— won't so much not have opinions on them. They just will maybe have opinions that aren't formed as robustly as they could be Mm. uh, by Scripture itself. Mm -hmm. People will come to conclusions that may or may not be right or wrong, um, but I think the pastor does have a part to play in helping people think through their their approach to various issues going on. Uh, They may not in the end, agree fully with their pastor. Um, mm-hmm. That is okay. Mm-hmm. There, there has to be some room to disagree. Um, but I think that a pastor's job is to help them think through this uh, this issue or whatever issue is at hand. So like we've said already, we've talked about issues of race. We've talked mm-hmm. about issues of the vaccines or of masking, of quarantines and shutdowns. Um, do people... And and everywhere always agree with us? No, even Mm -hmm. you who are listening may not agree with everything we've said. Um, But hopefully what we've done is made you think more deeply about what Scripture teaches. And that is, I think, the aim. Uh, So what would you say to to this question, Mark? Well, I I like your comment. I want to springboard off that just for a moment. There's an amazing irony at play here that, Satan wants to ruin. So the irony is when we talk about controversial things that we disagree about and when we remain in communion with each other, our relationships grow stronger. Mm-hmm. We can see that Christ gathers people who are different than one another when we talk about things. Yeah. Um, now that's sort of the opposite of what Satan wants to convince us will happen is that when we talk, when we recognize our differences, then there can be no community. Basically, is the the hmm. lie um, that the deceiver. So that's implants. especially a, a strong lie in twenty twenty two. Yeah. So w- so instead of in our current talking culture. about it and growing in closeness through Christ and saying occasionally we'll agree to disagree and yet I love you and I see your faith and and the fruit of the spirit at work in your life and I confirm mm-hmm. that. Um, instead of what is happening often is we're just not going to talk about it because we're afraid that this could divide us. And mm-hmm. so um, what it, it ends up producing is actually a more divided 
church, yeah. I would say. In a falsely united church. Yeah, and so there, everyone is just sort of in the dark about, you know, even, again, talking about vaccines. So mm-hmm. they could assume all kinds of things about our church and yeah. will assume many things about our church if we don't talk about it. Yeah. So, yes, we are a more politically and theologically conservative congregation. Somebody mm-hmm. who would enter our church would assume, maybe, that we're an anti-vax congregation. And so from my sermon, which I said, it is permissible in my view, mm-hmm. according to the scriptures, I, I believe, for a person to, in good conscience, receive a vaccine. Yeah. So that that starts to shatter some of the false notions about what is unifying people in mm-hmm. this place when we talk about controversial things. So yeah. I really like your statement about um, the importance of doing that for the sake of community. Hmm. Um, and, and, and for the sake of a real community, like, um, yeah. the Ephesians text that you mentioned about how, um, we have the one faith that, that, that hmm. unites us in Christ. And so, um, I would say, uh, maybe a little bit related to that, but, uh, I think that when a pastor refuses to, uh, to deal with controversial issues, um, there are a number of errors that might creep in, predictability, sort of a powerless sense um, of, of preaching. If it just becomes chicken soup for the soul, um, people, like uh, the Bible said, God desires people who tremble at his word or who, have a, mm. who, who approach him with reverence and awe. Um, that is going to be degraded over time if people can just predict whatever the pastor is going to say. Yeah. Um, and, and predictability, unpredictability is not really the key here but truth is but i think that the truth will confront us and at times even surprise us because we're sinful so there's going to be a confrontation of a sinner in church when the gospel is preached there should be in the, basically every sermon and there yes. should be some confrontation yeah and the person should even approach the sermon or the word of god on their own time hoping for that confrontation lord show me yeah. challenge me rebuke me, correct me, so that I might be more like Jesus, um, that's a different approach than the chicken soup for the soul. Lord, encourage me, affirm mm-hmm. me, tell be me, make me feel me. better. Yes, be my cheerleader. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, um, So we're dealing with two totally different types of Christians in those scenarios, yeah. I would say. Um, one recognizes sinfulness and so a, receives a surprising rebuke with thanksgiving, mm-hmm the next person receives that surprising rebuke with, well, that's not, that's not what I signed up for. That's not what I perceive Christianity to be. So mm-hmm. um, whether that's political stuff or other idols, like we mentioned family or money, um, yeah. and any rich person or poor person for that matter should approach church saying, I need to think about money more biblically. Um, and I should receive any correction yeah. that the scriptures can give me because I don't want to follow my own path. I want to follow that of the Lord as yeah. best as I can. Absolutely. And um, maybe another quick point about where it will lead if pastors refuse to address controversial real issues is um, a watered down gospel, um, basically a lowest common denominator Christian faith. And here's what mm. I mean by that. Um, I think that when all you hear in church is that God is faithful 
uh, generally speaking, mm-hmm. uh, you need to believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The basic gospel message, he died for our sins, he rose from the dead. When that's all you hear and that's all you ever receive from a minister, um, you could start to think that, well, I could I could do anything I want out there in my normal life mm-hmm. And I could believe all kinds of crazy things that are disprovable, like I think of flat earthers, for example. Yeah. And, well, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, and so I can believe all those conspiracy mm-hmm. theories, even though the Bible says do not call conspiracy what they call conspiracy, right? And <laughs> do not be afraid of what they fear. And and so it, it, it ends up being so watered down that um, mm-hmm. that people can get into fringe groups that are yeah. actually at their core uh, opposed to truth yeah, and opposed to kind of just having your eyes open about the world. I think of QAnon as another example of that. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sure there's a lot of people in QAnon who believe Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior and, oh, yeah. um, but are never confronted in... And are motivated, often many of them, by thinking that th- sure. it's what they're doing is the godly thing to Absolutely. do. Absolutely. But they've, they're never been challenged on seeking the truth like our uh, Heidelberg Catechism's answer to, yeah. Q- to the Ninth Commandment is... Uh, loving the truth, opening, openly acknowledging it, um, yeah. And instead of getting swept away in uh, sort of a fringe group, you might say, mm-hmm. um, and that that's not just QAnon, but it happens in other circumstances as well. So I think that where 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 preaching is just so basic that it it gives no confrontational or helpful instruction, then mm-hmm. people. Um, they can kind of baptize all kinds of unchristian things. Hmm. So um, yeah. that, that's another angle. And just to add a little bit more, even on top of that, is to say that this vacuum, if a, if a church isn't mm-hmm. speaking to these issues, people are still going to be looking up these issues and re- yeah. researching them and doing their own thinking about them. Um, so, for example, if a pastor says nothing ever about politics and about anything in the government and how the government what the what the job or the role of the government is that this person may only learn their views on the government from their education their their school or high school civics course sure. or American history course cable news or you may learn from it yeah from cable news or from a podcast um, mm-hmm. like you know Ben Shapiro many people love Ben Shapiro if Ben Shapiro is the only education you're getting on politics and and government sort of stuff. That's that may be okay, but you should also be learning from a, from a Christian perspective, from the Bible's perspective, yeah. um, how our involvement with politics should look. Uh, so I would say that would be a malnourished diet. Mm-hmm. Um, you should listen to, particularly what the Bible has to say about those things as well, and then you can think through. Is Ben Shapiro actually um, something I should really be listening to all that much? Mm-hmm. Um, there's times where I appreciate what Ben Shapiro says, and other times where I think, no, I'm actually not really a big fan of that. Yeah. Um, and so we have to be able to to think through what does the Bible teach on various things, um, and that, how how am I to talk? Also, I think that's hmm. just as important here is not just the content, but the the uh, character or the tone of yeah. of what is presented. Um, so I, again, you talk about somebody like Ben Shapiro who. I occasionally listen to, and the content mm-hmm. um, at times can be pretty solid, but the right. tone of the tone often of it, the tone is not yeah can the best. be very uncharitable, unchristlike, <laughs> yeah. and, and sometimes 
hey, you know, I just referenced John the Baptist. Sometimes we need to be woken up and call evil what is evil, yeah. and um, and and go there and be courageous, like mm-hmm. like a um, somebody who calls things out, like a Ben Shapiro type person. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if that's the only voice we ever hear, then uh, we're not going to hear that call to gentleness and do this with gentleness and respect is what the commandment yeah. of Peter is there for the Christian giving an account of your life. So yeah, I, some I of the most popular Ben Shapiro videos are him making fun of people yeah. openly. And while that can make you can, you know, it, it can make you pretty happy to watch. Oh yeah. That person just got owned. Destroyed. Then you should question why do I feel giddy about some other person being publicly disrespected yeah. and mocked? Yeah. Um, that, that should be an, an internal question. So there, and that scenario that's where biblical ethics must come to mind and you must think oh actually this person's made in the image of god and i shouldn't be disrespecting them or making fun of them in this way no matter how much i disagree with their perspective on this that or the other thing yeah and that for that you just go to the beatitudes right like blessed are the the poor in heart blessed are the or the the poor in spirit blessed are the pure in heart blessed are the meek blessed are the Mm -hmm. peacemakers right so you're you're maybe going to get some true content but are they peacemakers? Yeah. Are they pure in heart? Are they meek? Um, mm, well, mm-hmm. the, the scripture should determine who we love and listen to far more than our, um, our mm-hmm. what our itching ears would love to hear. So um, yeah. as we start to close, uh, we should ask, how can this be done well, dealing with controversial issues, um, particularly from the pulpit? Any thoughts on how it could be done well? Stick close to the text is, mm-hmm. is a big one. Um, don't try to to navigate too far from Scripture or stray too far from Scripture. Uh, if you're building your case from Scripture, you should keep it close at hand. That would be something I would say. I would also say if you're preaching on these issues, this is something you modeled really well this last weekend, Mark, was uh, invite discussion. Um and say if there's any questions or if there's anybody who disagrees, I'd love to talk with you about this. Um that's, that should be especially the stance of Christian leaders. Um, I don't know if you necessarily have to say that from the pulpit. You can. Um, but it should be something that you you invite people to um, as a part of your ministry. Say, hey, look, you may disagree with me. Let's talk about it. Um, and let's not act like we just have to agree to disagree. Yeah, and the the offer to open dialogue is not just... That could be perceived as, well, these are just my opinions, right. and so um, you don't have to agree with everything, you know, mm-hmm. uh, or it doesn't really matter mm-hmm. um, what I'm going to say. All this is just my take. Um, the offer to dialogue was basically uh, given so that we can dig further into, like, if yeah. I, I recognize I'm sinful and I could um, misrepresent something, misspeak, I could... Uh, I could make an error in my sermon, and, and if that happens and somebody sees that and it really stresses them out, I'd love right. for them to come to me and let's work out what the Bible really says. Um, I have had it happen where I, I preached particularly about the topic of homosexuality. Of There was a visitor in church at our church from City Church in San Francisco who is hmm. an open and affirming congregation, and I had said, made that very offer. I think we even had a town hall afterwards to discuss further this hmm. issue, and that person stayed after the town hall and really let me have it. Just thought I was an unloving uh, person. And so the, the huh. we, we at the end had to say, well, th- I believe this is what the word says, that homosexual activity is 
a sin against God, and they said, no, it's not. Hmm. And so the the offer to dialogue wasn't an offer to, I'm going to agree with you, mm-hmm. or you can take or leave what I'm going to say, but right. if this is something you struggled with, yeah, let's talk about it, because I do love you, and I'm not on the radio, and you're on the receiving end, and you just turn things off after the show. Yeah. I'm your pastor, and we're going to live together. That's a good point. Um, as Reformed pastors, I think that we would agree with the sentiment of the Second Helvetic Confession, which says pretty boldly, as the title of one of its articles, I forget which number, says the preached word of God is the word of God. And that's not to say that every mouth that comes out of a, of a pastor's mouth in a sermon hmm. is God's word, but insofar as it is a legitimate interpretation and application of God's word, it is God's word. Hmm. Um, that's a pretty bold statement. And so I don't think a pastor needs to say a bunch of qualifying statements at the beginning of yeah. every sermon like, oh, this yeah. is just my opinion, take it or leave it. <laughs> um, we should stand in there with boldness and courage and conviction. Um and people should listen, listen as such, mm-hmm. uh, but that doesn't mean that that's the end of the conversation. Close mm-hmm. the book, move on to the next subject. Yeah. Um, the, it, there's room for working things out together in in a Christian way, in, in Christian dialogue. It's preaching is really at the crux of that balance between hmm. humility and leadership. Yeah, that's it's, a good point. It's really pretty complicated, and so. <laughs> Um, how does you know it's like a, a pastor could err too much on the side of humility and just really not be an authority yeah um, a pastor could err on the side of leadership and lack the humility to talk with somebody after the sermon who might be very educated and disagree and even correct that pastor yep. and so I think that that maybe is the the fine line a minister has to walk especially on these controversial issues find the, the line between um, just uh, hum- humble servitude that takes no authority or that considers the Bible almost as not an authority hmm. and the opposite extreme of sort of an authoritarian interpretation of the text. Yeah, as if your interpretation is de facto the right interpretation right. and then that, can, that cannot be questioned. Yeah. Um, and so uh, maybe lastly I would say uh, that as, as a minister I, I, I need to be clear on which issues are foundational and which are more peripheral. Um, Mm. I want to say, I mentioned in my sermon this past Sunday, that um, the the gospel, this does get to the gospel because Jesus said, offer to God what is God's, that is our trust, our worship, our ultimate faith, um, our expectation of salvation. We give those things to God. But um, but to Caesar, what is Caesar's? And then when we get into the Caesar camp, then we are dealing with something a little bit more peripheral and debatable. And and here's how we can understand various things, role of government from other scripture texts, other things that Jesus says about taxes, for example. Hmm. Um, and so establishing the the core and distinguishing that at times from the peripheral. Another example of this would be eschatology. Hmm. So when I preach... A sermon and which I have done and and say uh, we do not believe there will be a secret rapture uh, we mm-hmm. do not believe there will be a seven-year tribulation and yeah. um, an authority of Christ set up in this world in this dispensation sort of as we know it and it'll change when Jesus is on the throne in Israel we do not believe in dispensational yeah. premillennialism but um, that is a um, I, I think it's a lesser quality interpretation of scripture but 
one might believe that and be a part of this church. And so just mm-hmm. to be honest about recognizing that, and we have premillennial dispensationalists in our church, um, a handful. And so we want to establish that this is not mm-hmm. the core of the gospel, but this is an interpretation of some mysterious things. Yeah, so knowing that sort of cone of certainty, as I would hear it referred mm. to in seminary, some things we have to be absolutely certain about, um, like the virgin birth or yeah. the resurrection of Christ, those are non-negotiables for the Christian gospel, but there are other things like eschatology where it's not really salvific uh, things at stake. Yeah. Uh, our salvation's not at stake regardless, like, regarding which position we take about the end times, if we're amillennial or premillennial or what have you. Um, or so, polity or other other debatable things like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, or taxation yeah. issues, policies. Um, you, I think good Christians can have good charitable disagreements on such issues. Yeah. So we thank you guys <laughs> for, for listening to us uh, banter around about these issues, and we hope that you have uh, been encouraged and been helped as we've thought about what might or might not be uh, allergies in the pulpit, mm, mm-hmm. things that we're afraid to speak on, and we hope that this uh, helps you to encourage your pastor yeah. to feel the the courage to speak God's word faithfully. Yeah, I, I do. The, my last thought would be to add that if if you sense that your struggle, your pastor struggles in this way, the proper approach is not to. <laughs> Pastor, you're a coward. <laughs> Pastor, you're a, you know, like, you got to tell us what the Bible says. And um, it would be to encourage. It would be to um, come alongside, you know, Pastor, you've got the the hmm. spirit within you to tell us to interpret the word. Please do that for us in a courageous way. You know, like, there, there's a good way mm-hmm. of, of saying we are open, Pastor, to your leadership in this regard. And yeah. um, a, a way of trusting a pastor and encouraging um, a minister in this direction. Um, that is, a, you know, maybe, maybe some pastors are able to deal with controversial issues a little bit better than other ministers, and so mm-hmm. you maybe need to see that a little bit as well. Um, but at the same time, this is not intended to make somebody totally look yeah. askance at their own pastor <laughs> no. as a coward all of a sudden. Um, but really, it Maybe it's especially intended for other ministers to boldly preach what the Word says, to say what is on the page with courage, um, because we're not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of salvation for those who believe, and to really believe that when we get up in the pulpit and say whatever God says. So that's the main idea. Amen. Well, thank you, guys. We look forward to being with you all again next week. See ya.